Chapter Twenty Four of the Portent. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma. The Portent by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Four Prison Breaking. It was with considerable anxiety that I repaired to Mrs. Blakesley's room. There I found the old lady at the breakfast-table, so thoroughly composed that I was at once reassured as to her ignorance of what had occurred while she slept. But she seemed uneasy till I should take my departure, which I attributed to the fear that I might happen to meet Lady Alice. Arrived at my inn, I kept my room, my dim-seen plans rendering it desirable that I should attract as little attention in the neighbourhood as might be. I had now to concentrate these plans, and make them definite to myself. It was clear that there was no chance of spending another night at Hilton Hall by invitation. Would it be honourable to go there without one, as I, knowing all the outs and ins of the place, could, if I pleased? I went over the whole question of Alice's position in that house, and of the crime committed against her. I saw that— if I could win my wife by restoring to her the exercise of reason, that very success would justify the right I already possessed in her. And could she not demand of me to climb over any walls, or break open whatsoever doors, to free her from her prison, from the darkness of a clouded brain? Let them say what they would of the meanness and wickedness of gaining such access to, and using such power over, the insane. She was mine and as safe with me as with her mother. There is a love that tears and destroys, and there is a love that enfolds and saves. I hated mesmerism and its vulgar impertinences, but here was a power I possessed, as far as I knew, only over one, and that one allied to me by a reciprocal influence, as well as long-tried affection. Did not love give me the right to employ this power? My cognitions concluded in the resolve to use the means in my hands for the rescue of Lady Alice. Midnight found me in the alley of the kitchen garden. The door of the little court opened easily, nor had I withdrawn its bolts without knowing that I could manage to open the window of my old room from the outside. I stood in the dark, a stranger and housebreaker where so often I had sat waiting the visits of my angel. I secured the door of the room, struck a light, lighted a remnant of taper which I found on the table, threw myself on the couch, and said to my Alice, Come. And she came. I rose. She laid herself down. I pulled off my coat, it was all I could find, and laid it over her. The night was chilly. She revived with the same sweet smile, but, giving a little shiver, said, "'Why have you no fire, Duncan? I must give orders about it. That's some trick of old Clankshoe. "'Dear Alice, do not breathe a word about me to any one. I have quarrelled with Lord Hilton. He has turned me away, and I have no business to be in the house.' "'Oh,' she replied, with a kind of faint, recollecting hesitation, that must be why you never come to the haunted chamber now. I go there every night, as soon as the sun is down. Yes, that is it, Alice. 
Ah, that must be what makes the day so strange to me, too. She looked very bewildered for a moment, and then resumed. Do you know, Duncan, I feel very strange all day, as if I was walking about in a dull dream that would never come to an end. But it is very different at night, is it not, dear? She had not yet discovered any distinction between my presence to her dreams and my presence to her waking sight. I hardly knew what reply to make, but she went on. They won't let me come to you now, I suppose. I shall forget my Euclid and everything. I feel as if I had forgotten it already. But you won't be vexed with your poor Alice, will you? She's only a beggar girl, you know. I could only answer by a caress. I had a strange dream the other night. I thought I was sitting on a stone in the dark, and I heard your voice calling me, and it went all round about me, and came nearer, and went farther off, but I could not move to go to you. I tried to answer you, but I could only make a queer sound, not like my own voice at all. I dreamed it too, Alice. The same dream? Yes, the very same. I am so glad, but I didn't like the dream. Duncan, my head feels so strange sometimes, and I am so sleepy. Duncan, dearest, am I dreaming now? Oh, tell me that I am awake and that I hold you, for tomorrow when I wake I shall fancy that I have lost you. They've spoiled my poor brain somehow. I am all right, I know, but I cannot get at it. The red is withered somehow. You are wide awake, my Alice. I know all about it. I will help you to understand it all, only you must do exactly as I tell you. Yes, yes. Then go to bed now, and sleep as much as you can, else I will not let you come to me at night. That would be too cruel, when it is all I have. Then go, dearest, and sleep. I will. She rose and went. I, too, went, making all close behind me. The moon was going down. Her light looked to me strange and almost malignant. I feared that when she came to the full she would hurt my darling's brain, and I longed to climb the sky and cut her in pieces. Was I, too, going mad? I needed rest, that was all. Next morning I called again upon Mrs. Blakesley to inquire after Lady Alice, anxious to know how yesterday had passed. "'Just the same,' answered the old lady. "'You need not look for any change. "'Yesterday I did see her smile once, though.' "'And was that nothing?' "'In her case there was a reversal of the usual facts of nature. "'I say facts, not laws. "'The dreams of most people are more or less insane. "'Those of Lady Alice were sound, "'thus with her restoring the balance of sane life.' That smile was the sign of the dream-life beginning to leaven the waking and false life. "'Have you heard of young Lord Hilton's marriage?' asked Mrs. Blakesley. "'I have only heard some rumours about it,' I answered. "'Who is the new countess?' "'The daughter of a rich merchant somewhere. They say she isn't the best of tempers. They're coming here in about a month. I am just terrified to think how it may fare with my lamb now.' They won't let her go wandering about wherever she pleases, I doubt, and if they shut her up, she will die. I vowed inwardly that she should be free if I carried her off, madness and all. 
End of chapter 24